Mark chapter 4, I'm going to be taking my text from there this morning, the parable of the sower, the greatest of all of Jesus' parables. And uh, I just want to read part of this, the first part where Jesus is sharing the parable of the sower with his disciples. Um, and uh, we'll just, uh, well, let's get on with it. All right, praise the Lord. Okay, so if you have your Bibles open to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, I'm going to begin in verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, which means look and understand, a sower went out to sow. I would like you to say that with me. Jesus said, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. One more time, we'll get everybody on board. A sower to sow. All right. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, much depth. And immediately it sprang up, but since it had no depth of soil, when the sun came and rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and some a hundredfold. And Jesus said to them, He who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked about the parables. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? How will you understand all the parables that I teach? This parable is the key. You must understand this parable. So, to understand this parable, the punchline is the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. And that's, Jesus went on, I'm not going to read the rest of it, he went on to explain the parables. He was talking about how seed fell by the wayside and the, the devil snatched it out of people's mind. Other, their lives were shallow and they didn't have any real root in themselves. So when the seed went, it, it fell on the rocky soil. It quick, quickly sprang up. They had a quick reaction to Jesus, but they didn't stay and they, they fell away, and then there were those that their lives were just filled with clutter, the cares of life, the cares of the world, and um, the seed took root, and it grew up, but it, it didn't produce any fruit because the, the things of the world, things of life choked it, but then there was the good ground upon a good heart that seed fell. But the important thing is, the key to this parable is the sower sows the word. Understanding this unlocks the wisdom of every one of Jesus' parables. If you don't understand that the word of God is divine seed, if you don't understand that the word of God is the seed whereby his life is sown, and that it must be sown, it just can't be scattered out, it has to be sown, it has to find a receptacle that has to find a compatible place to live for it to grow up and to produce anything. The sower sows the word. 
God's word is far more than just expressions of truth that we find in the Bible. It's God himself. It's divine life. In fact, the Gospel of John opens up by saying, the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word became flesh. And so the word of God is the life of God in seed form. And it seeks compatibility in the fertile soil of a welcoming heart. And all of those other places where the seed fell were not compatible. And the seed, full of potential, full of life, never connected with a compatible environment so that God could come forth in that environment. God cannot come forth and transform the shallows of our mind. Uh, where, where, the, where the currents are being moved and motivated by fears and lusts and the things of this world, the shallows of the mind are not a, con, not a compatible environment for the Word of God. But its life-transforming effect will take place when that Word is sown, praise God, in a heart that is willing and eager and ready to receive God, an undivided heart, praise the Lord. And um, so he puts, he puts not only salvation, he puts engagement with God in every way on that level of the principle, the science, if you will, of the seed being planted, because he's trying to say, God's not sitting upon his throne arbitrarily making decisions about who he likes, who he doesn't like, why he might want to bless or help this person, but he doesn't seem to have any interest or compassion for this person. He's trying to deal with the, the religious misconception that God is arbitrary or that, or that God is capricious. But the reality is, he says, God has put himself forth in his word in seed form. And it's up to us to present a receptacle that's compatible with that seed. God's eager to break out. God is eager to open up out of that seed and to begin his life-transforming work, to bring forth the fruits of his nature, healing and deliverance and victory over trials and dominion over Satan and the authority of his kingdom. All these things are there in the word of God in seed form. So, by, by being sown deeply into the heart, the word releases its life, begins its transforming effect, spreading out and impacting everything in its environment. And I want to stress that for the rest of this message this morning. That when we receive in our heart the word of God, we're born again, we begin to grow, we begin to mature. That maturing process really is the effects of of God spreading out in our life and inhabiting every area of our life. Everything begins to come under his lordship. But what are those things in our life coming under? We, we use terms, religious terms, like the lordship of Jesus, but those terms actually mean something. What they mean is the seed of the word. Every area of our life needs to come under the instruction and the leadership of the Word of God as the Holy Spirit is making it 
fresh to us and, um, and opening it up in our heart. But that's just the beginning. Then that transforming power of the Word of God not only works to fill our life and bring us under the kingdom of God, but it begins to move out into the territory, the sphere of influence, our stewardship, our life responsibilities, our marriages, our home, our jobs, our calling, wherever the sole of our foot treads. The Lord wants to extend the transforming impact of the word sown. And so think about yourself or any other believer who's received Jesus Christ as Lord. Matters not how much money they have in the bank, doesn't matter how far they've gone in their education. It really, oh, what only really matters is there a fertile heart that is allowing the word of God to multiply. They're devouring God's word. That heart is under the authority of the word of God. And that person, that person will begin to transform everything around them. They'll transform their family. They'll transform their neighborhood. Not everybody is going to get saved. Not everybody is going to think the kingdom of God's a great idea. Uh, we could see that in the Gospels. Jesus went to a lot of places, and everywhere he went, division broke out. But those who had a heart for the kingdom, they came. And lives were changed. And customs were changed. And politics were changed. And society was changed. Things become impacted. Some of you have been with me a number of times in Africa. And over those 10 years that we were in Africa together, working and laboring, we saw culture impacted, didn't we, Terry? Marty, we saw, we saw the way people lived beginning to get broken up and, and changed and um, uh, po polygamy began to be replaced with monogamy and, and just the way husbands treated their wives as the word of God began to move and people who were walking in the word, it began to affect the community. And that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants us not just to be the light of the world, he wants us to be the salt of the earth. Hallelujah. Have that preserving influence over the world around us, but we have to be people of the word, praise God. Not just people of the knowledge of the word, but people of the word. And there's a difference, isn't there? Deeply sown in a receptive, yielded heart, the transforming impact of God's word is always, always going to come forth. One of my favorite verses that um, illustrates this idea is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and 13. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians who had received the word of God honorably when he went to their community and preached to them. And Paul writes to them, he says, we never stop thanking God for you that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas, but you accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is, and this word continues to work in you who believe. That's, that's the kicker in that phrase. You received the words that we preached as the word of God. And as a result, that word is working in you who believe at this very moment. That word working 
when Paul wrote it, was the old Greek word, the old classic Greek word, energio. And you might just imagine what the word energio actually means in English. It means energy, energizing. So he says that you receive the word of God and immediately God began to be energized in your life. God began to energize you, begin to energize your thinking, and begin to energize your imagination, begin to energize the weaknesses in your life. And when I was weak, I went and waited upon the Lord and exchanged my weakness for his strength. Praise God. So all these scriptures that we like and that we love these great promises, we're not going to really understand how to apply them until we understand the principle of sowing the word of God. And that's what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. I thank God that you received the word we preached as the very word of God because it is energized within you. Praise the Lord. The greatest that a man or woman can be in this life. Stop for a moment before I finish that sentence and think with me. What are the things that you and I aspire to be? Some of us aspire in life. Our greatest aspirations might be to accomplish something great in our chosen profession. Um, we, might, uh, we might have as our highest aspiration to lead a great family, that all of our children and our grandchildren and their children, as they spread out, would know the Lord and be, be good citizens and be good people and and in spite of the fact that all of us have weaknesses and propensities, that we would be a family of overcomers. That is a great aspiration. So there are a lot of things in life that we can aspire to. Some people are very outgoing, and they really, they just want to impact people. They become entertainers, become musicians. Some of them become public servants. Uh, so many people with a good aspiration, wanting to serve. Um, we know there's bad aspirations. People are motivated by, look at me, you know, um, aren't I great? And, and I, and I want to control people. That's not what I'm talking about. But the greatest that you can be in this life is a sower. There's no greater aspiration than that you are a sower of the divine seed of God's word. Because there's no greater impact that you can have on this world or on the individual lives that you encounter. Nothing greater. He or she who is a sower holds the power to save lives and to plunder hell. What can you do in your asp aspirations that could possibly make you a greater asset in the kingdom of God and a greater gift to this world than someone who plunders hell, turns sinners who are on their way to a cursed eternity without God, turn them from darkness and help to direct them into the kingdom of God. Come on. The greatest thing you can be is a sower. The greatest you can be is a sower. Satan will constantly follow you through life. He'll get behind you, speak into your ear about the things that you have set, the goals you have set, you're not making those goals. Look at your children. Uh, look at your business. Look at your work. Look at what you're doing. Have you achieved this? Have you accomplished that? And um, I, there's, there's, some, uh, you know, there's some value 
to looking at the goals that are set, particularly if they're good goals. But don't ever let him, don't ever let him diminish you. Remember the one thing that you can do that makes you a superstar in the kingdom of God is to be a sower of the word. And when you're a sower of the word, not everyone's going to receive the word. We see that in the four conditions under which the word of God was sown, three of them had zero eternal value or results. Only one-fourth, only 25% of the outcomes of receiving the word sown actually produced fruit. So don't be distressed, don't be discouraged. If you are a sower of the word, you are the greatest that a man or a woman can be. Not only do you hold uh, the power to save lives and to plunder hell, but you hold the power to overturn demonic plans in your community and in the sphere of your influence and to transform societies. The Apostle Paul and a handful of believers spread out and begin to travel as poor people throughout the highways and corridors of the, British, of the uh, uh, Roman Empire. And in a relative short amount of time, they brought down the Roman Empire because of the seeds that they had sown. Transforming society, bringing true transformation. Remember this, that as societies are transformed, there's always tares and wheat growing together. We just don't, you know, Camelot, how many of you know, did not really exist. There, I don't think they're real, the historians, I don't think ever found a real Camelot. We've had Camelot moments in our history. We've had, we've had uh, periods where we had these Camelot experiences, but they don't last. Eventually, somebody's just going to be human. And we know how things are going to go. But we don't give up. We don't stop. Ours is the, the privilege of sowing the word. Always sowing in hope. Always sowing in faith. Knowing that good things will come where that word is sown and received. And I love the idea that you and I can overturn the demonic plans over Pinellas County. We can, we can overturn the plans the enemy has. You, you might see some of those plans when you go to work. You might see some of those plans as you travel around. You may see Satan's plans working to keep people bound, to keep them confused, to keep them embittered, to keep them from receiving Jesus Christ. We can drive back the, and break the weapons of Satan, drive back his strategies, and we can overturn those plans and we can transform societies. We are not going to bring, we are not going to bring the full expression of the kingdom of God in this world simply if we are 100% successful at transforming societies. We're, the world's still sinful. It's going to take the physical return of Jesus Christ to actually break the demonic hold over the world and to deliver its kingdoms and its nations to the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but, does that mean we shouldn't try? What it means is, the more we labor to be sowers of the word, the more we can have a righteous impact on the world around us, 
making the light accessible to more people, making the light easy to see, holding back the choking vines of unbelief and lies and satanic deception from being able to bind the minds of our young people and, quite frankly, of our, our citizens of all ages around us. The little bit of effect that we can have makes a difference when it comes to spiritual things in eternity. That's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. One of my favorite verses that sums up in a very short phrase what I'm saying to you this morning is found in Acts chapter 19 and in verse 20. Paul the apostle entered the great city of Ephesus. Ephesus was among other things known as the, the epicenter of the worship of Diana. A false god, I think maybe of fertility or something, but whatever it was, it was the, it was the urban center of that, that demonic worship. And there are all kinds of problems with the city of Ephesus. It, it was a multi-layered uh, uh, cosmopolitan area of its day, might have resembled some of our great urban centers in our nation today. He entered there and he began to labor preaching and sowing, sowing the word. And he, stood, he stayed there for two and a half years. Now, what I want to say to you this morning is it's great to receive the word of God. It's great to come to church and have that word refreshed within you. It's great to keep it in your own life. But if it's going to truly have the effect it's supposed to have, we've got to walk out these doors and we have to plant ourselves. The word's planted in us, but we must plant ourselves. We must put ourselves in the middle of the stream where society's flowing. We must put ourselves in, in the way of where other people travel. We must travel with them. We must be with them. We must be an influence. We cannot stay walled up in our homes and our houses, moving in tight little circles and never having any kind of interaction and when we interact, we need to be the salt and light. We need to let that word affect society. And that's what Paul did for two and a half years. He went into Ephesus and he began to engage and dispute and teach the gospel. He began to challenge them. He began to challenge their beliefs. And um, well, the first thing that happened was he got thrown out of the synagogue. So he challenged them with Jesus. They didn't like that, they threw him out. And um, so then he went to a secular school and he planted his ministry in a secular school and he began to become one of the teachers in that secular school. And he began to teach the word of God and teach the gospel in this school called the school of Tyrannus, which means a tyrant. So at any rate, there's, there's Paul engaging society, challenging them with the word of God. And he kept at it and kept at it until those challenges poured out into the street. And after a while, one of the big, one of the big uh, characteristics of Ephesus was that it was a great center of the occult. And uh, people, uh, people were really big in, in worshiping demons, worshiping the occult, practicing witchcraft. And there was a day that finally his preaching in their face and, and getting up in their business, challenging them, there was a big head, <coughs> head to head. And the Bible says tons of those people got saved. 
they brought all of their enchantments and their books and made a giant pile. And the pile of the, the articles and the things that they brought and they had a bonfire and burned them and gave their lives to Jesus Christ and it was all done publicly, um, <clears throat> resulted in a riot in the city because the guys that made those idols, that made their living making those idols, uh, saw their business going down the drain if everybody got saved. So they stirred up the city and there was a great big riot and after two and a half years that began with just meeting 12 disciples of John the Baptist in Ephesus and sharing Jesus with them, getting them full of the Holy Spirit, that 12 turned into the whole city being shaken up with the gospel of Jesus and the bad guys, as usually oftentimes is the case, won, at least in that public arena, but they lost because there was planted a great church that just continued to grow and multiply. That city was forever changed. Hallelujah. Because somebody walked in and said, I'm going to start sowing the word. And you could see the multiplying effect Praise God of the word being planted. Hallelujah. Now, the sower, the sower of the seed, the sower of the word, the sower doesn't prepare for the future. That's not what the sower is doing. The sower prepares the future. He or she is not preparing for the future. They are preparing the future because they sow today for tomorrow's harvest. The future is in you. The future of this community, the future of your town, the future of this county, the future of our state, the future of our nation is in you, God's people. That's where the future is. You sow the future. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? I share with you a testimony. It was about two, three years ago or so. How many of you remember when Dawn Peters, who was running for the Pinellas County um, School Board, was here and spoke to us? How many of you remember Dawn? You may not know this, but you remember she got up and she talked about why she, she had been a businesswoman and uh, she gave up her business to run for the Pinellas County School Board. She wasn't an educator. She wasn't a teacher. Um, and she said the reason why, she had two daughters, and the younger one, at around the age of 9, 10, 11, started to, to show signs of some serious mental and, um, and emotional trauma. And it gradually was, was increasing over time. And she began to come home wanting to wear boys' clothes. She came home just sharing expressions of how she hated being a girl and then the next thing you know, and this is all consolidated just for me to be able to share it to you quickly, but it happened over a period of time. She wanted to join the gay club at, at uh, school, and then after a while, of course, you know the inevitable, you've heard the stories ad nauseum over and over again. They're, they're happening all across America. We don't think they're happening right here, right here in Pinellas County. It turned out that she was being groomed by professional counselor at her school. She was going to the counselor for help, for help with her personal struggles. And that counselor, that counselor was guiding her, manipulating her, taking advantage of that young mind, saying, well, you know, maybe you're just, maybe God made a mistake and you're really not supposed to be a girl. So she 
she eventually, she wanted to have the operations. She wanted to have her breast cut off. She wanted to have her, you know, be on the medication and the whole thing. Dawn, as a mother, was just, as a Christian woman, was beside herself. What do I do? How do I reach my daughter? Well, thank God, uh, the testimony is not for the purpose of going into that. Her daughter's doing wonderful today. But it wasn't easy. It was hard to turn it around. Right here in Pinellas County, that experience is what launched Dawn into public service. She said, I am going to be a school board member. Where can I work to stop this so that it never happens to another parent's child in this county again? And she ran for the school board. And she came here, and she shared that testimony. When she stood in our pulpit and shared that testimony, it was the first time she had ever shared it with anyone. She shared it with me over the phone when I talked with her and asked her to come talk, speak to our church. I didn't realize that was the first time publicly she had shared it. Since then, she went on to win her election, and she and Stephanie Myers are the only two conservative Christian women serving on that seven-member school board in Pinellas County. And in the school board meetings over this past year, there have been near riots right here in Pinellas County. You don't you don't hear about it. There's an organization of Marxist teachers, communist Marxist teachers. They have the T-shirts and everything that have been belligerently uh, uh, standing up in those meetings, taking their three minutes to talk and attacking and threatening Dawn and Stephanie. Getting up public and saying, I know where you live. We've got your address. I know who your children are. Threatening them. The uh, superintendent contacted the sheriff's department here in Pinellas County, and they put detectives on those two because of the threats by woke socialist Marxist teachers and agitators. So these two ladies were like David up against Goliath. They kicked the hornet's nest, but they were Christians allowing the word, the seed that grew in them, the Holy Spirit put on their heart, let your light shine, take the salt, and stand in the gap for your children and the children of others here in this county. We have been praying for a long time, God, do something. We didn't know how bad things were right here where we live under our nose. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. She came here that day, and we were just so happy when we found out that she got elected, she and Stephanie both. But they're outnumbered and outmanned, and they've been going through harassment and 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 uh, threats on the board. And I remember she said to me earlier this year, I said, how can we pray for you? And I've come to you a number of times from the pulpit and asked you to pray for them. And one of the things she said, that God would speak to other men and women who are Christians and conservative and, and, and you know, are willing to, to, to answer the call of God to stand up against the assault of, of wickedness and evil in our culture in our society pray that they will run she knew friends of hers that wanted to run but their husband said no i'm not going to i'm seeing what those women are going through i don't want you going through that and exposing our family there's a price to pay okay i've said all that to say this i um uh with a couple of uh, my pastor friends on uh, florida faith foundations we had lunch with dawn just to catch up and find out how things are going this past week. And guess what? Three 
Christian, strong Christian conservative women have entered the race to fill three positions on the board a year from now. That seven-person board has elections every two years. They're four-year terms, and every two years, three positions come up for election, and then two years later, four positions. So three positions are coming up for election, and three ladies have stepped up and said, we're going to run. Do you realize, and we spoke about this over lunch, if these three win this election, and Dawn and Stephanie will be on for another two years, there will be five, a serious majority, five out of seven of stalwart Christians, and they will, because I, I asked her, what kind of influence can you have? They said, we will be the voice of the people. We will be the voice of Pinellas County to the school board. And she said, that's the kind of influence and power we need to get this stuff. We can't get this out of the schools. We, we don't know what the teachers are saying behind closed doors unless the children come home and, and tell you know, their parents this is what's being done. And even then, she said that if that school board goes conservative and Christian, she said there won't be anything the enemy can do. I said, oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful. Next Sunday at 2 o'clock after church, my other pastor friends and I are meeting with those three ladies. I've already been in connection with them, and we're going to be vetting them and meeting with them and talking with them and finding out the depth of their experience and where they're at and everything and intend to support them. And I share this with you not because I'm trying to uh, inspire you to support these ladies. I'm certainly going to give you an opportunity to know about them, but I bring it up because of the effect of a sower. All this began because somebody sowed the word into their life and experienced the transformation of Jesus Christ and felt that momentum leading them to stand up publicly and let their light shine and let that transformation begin to happen. When Dawn came here and we heard what was happening in our school system, and we heard other testimonies as well, I began to pray, personally, I began to encourage you to pray. Pray that God will turn our school board around. Pray that God will raise people up. It's been just a couple of years, and God has answered. God has called three people. He could have called a dozen, but three people have said yes. Do you realize how amazing that is? I don't know why you're not jumping up and shouting. I got so excited. I thought, wow, we have been praying, that, 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 and we've been sowing the word. That's the point. We begin to step out publicly and say, hey, look, we need to lift up not just the banner of Christ. We need to lift up the righteousness of the kingdom of God Amen. against this insanity and abuse of our families and of our children. So God was answering. I want to bring this to an altar call. I want to bring this to a point where we can act on it. One of the kindest things that God has ever said to us in Scripture is found in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. God says to us, sow for yourselves, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. I find that one of the dearest and one of the kindest 
things God has ever said to us. He invites us to take his divine word and he says, sow, sow into yourselves, sow for yourselves, remembering that you sow the future, you plant today for tomorrow's harvest. God invites us, sow righteousness for yourselves, for your children, for your community, sow righteousness. That's exactly what we did in the case of Dawn and Stephanie and the things that I share with you, is we're sowing righteousness for ourselves, the citizens of this county. And the Bible says, sow righteousness for yourselves and reap steadfast love. God is eager to pour out his love. God is eager to show his faithfulness. He's eager to show us that you don't have to live under the tyranny of Satan. You don't have to let the devil kick you around, tear your families apart. You don't have to put up with what the world dishes out to you. You're not going to entirely escape it, but there can be an impact. God is willing to show love to you if you will sow his word in righteousness for yourselves this is how God blesses families, how he blesses communities, and how he blesses whole societies. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. You will reap love. Break up your fallow ground because the Lord says, I want to come and reign righteousness for you. On a practical note, as we close this and pray, here's what I think would be wise for us to pray concerning. Just doing the right thing doesn't release the multiplying, prevailing power of the word. Oftentimes, we as Christians get up and we go up forth in our day and we do the right thing, but we oftentimes don't do it as unto the Lord. In other words, we don't do it specifically saying, I am acting on this word, this promise. We just do it because it's good and it's the right thing to do. We want to get the results that come from sowing the word, not just from doing right things. Lots of people do right things, but it doesn't produce the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, pray like this, our Father, which is in heaven, that prayer goes and gets down to the point where it says, give us this day our daily bread. How many of you pray that probably at least once a day in your prayers Give me today, give us, give my family today our daily bread. And we think of the food and the money and material things that we need. But here's how you can sow the word in a really profound way. Jesus sat at the well of Samaria after witnessing to the Samaritan woman. His disciples came and said he hasn't gotten anything to eat. He's probably hungry. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of my father who sent me. I have food to eat that you don't know of. So Jesus was nourished and he was fed. His daily bread was to find out what's God's assignment for me? What is the Father's assignment for me to do? Lord, let me know what my assignment is. I'll do that and my soul will be nourished. So here's a way that you can act on God's word. Find the things that you're doing in your life that may, you do them probably by rote, you do them by habit, but they're the right things. You, you endure resistance to do the right thing, to get up and, and cook for your family, to make sacrifices for the people that you love. You do those things 
knowing you're doing the right thing, but you're not getting any real reward out of it, except maybe the little bit of emotional reward you get in, I'm doing the right thing. But God wants to give you so much more, and not just give you, but through your actions, he wants to release great, transformative, prevailing blessings. Remember, I never did read the, I told you all about Paul in Ephesus, and then I didn't uh, read the scripture at the end of the testimony about Ephesus, Paul wraps it up as he's writing about those two and a half years, and he says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So you're getting up every day and you're doing things. Wouldn't it be wonderful if so mightily the word of God would grow in the things that you're putting your hand to and prevail? How many of you could use a prevailing manifestation of God in your life. Wouldn't that be awesome? To see the power of God prevail. Take the things that you're doing and do them conscientiously as unto the Lord. When you're smearing the mayonnaise on that bread, because that's what the kids like or whatever it might be, Father, this is my assignment. When God leads you to do something, something maybe that's out of your routine, as you do it, Lord, I am doing your assignment that you've given me, I expect as you, Lord Jesus, were to be nourished by doing the Father's will. I expect to be nourished. Jesus said, my nourishment, in other words, I'm blessed, I'm fed. The Father is feeding me because I'm doing what he's assigned for me to do. And so you, as you do the things that are good, do them as unto the Lord, find the scripture text that involves what you're doing, and say, as I do this, Lord, I do this in Jesus' name. Your word says, show loving kindness. Your word says, and find that promise, and quote that promise, so that you're acting on the word with everything you do. When you're having to do a task that uh, is tedious, doesn't bring uh, uh, nourishment just in and of itself, be prepared to receive divine nourishment as you go to do that I say, Father, I do this as unto you, for you said, do everything heartily as unto the Lord, for from the Lord you shall receive the reward. See, God is wanting to cause his word to come back to you. Hallelujah. Amen? All right. You can turn off your device, close up your Bible. I'd like you to join me for just a few minutes down here at the front. We need to take a few minutes just as a, a spiritual family to pray together. Bring, as you come, you represent your house, you represent your family, you represent the sphere of influence that God has given you.